S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live Season 3, Episode 4, starring Charles Grodin. Originally aired on October 29th, 1977. Greetings, welcome to SN Hell. My name is Keith. This Saturday night in SN Hell, we are going back to October 1977 for the Halloween episode with Charles Grodin. With me as always, my good buddy Matt. Hello, Matt. Hey, Keith. Happy Halloween. You too, buddy. This is our 50th episode and uh, Saturday Night Live's 50th. Wow. Congratulations to us. High five, buddy. So we've had like little mini episodes and stuff, but this is the 50th regular episode. So, uh, Sweet. We're doing okay, I guess. We're, we're at least committed. Fuck yeah. Or perhaps should be committed. <laughs> and what better way to spend a 50th anniversary extravaganza than with our good buddy who was here last year for the Jody Foster episode? His name is Ron. Welcome, Ron. Hi, everyone. How are you? Doing wonderfully. Great to be here for your 50th. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Tonight we have Charles Grodin. We have musical guest Paul Simon. Always uh, interesting to have Matt chiming in about Paul Simon. But uh, before we get talking about Simon, as we already have, let's talk a bit about Charles Grodin. What do you fellas know uh, Charles Grodin from? Just the the 90s comedies. Yeah, he's one of those guys that was just kind of always around, but, you know, not a solid, but not like a big star. Was it Beethoven? He was in Beethoven? Yeah, he He was was in in Beethoven. Beethoven and Beethoven second, yeah. Yeah. Clifford is another one, Matt. I know you were a big fan of that one. Clifford? Yeah, with uh, Martin Short. Oh, that one. Maybe you weren't a big fan. Charles Grodin was a student of uh, of uh, Lee Strasberg and, and Uta Hagen. He was a theater guy, but frequently got cast in bit parts and uncredited roles in movies and TV shows. His first really well-known project, modern audiences would know, would be uh, Rosemary's Baby, where he, where he played the OBGYN. He dabbled in directing uh, and writing. He was producing as well. Prior to this episode, he appeared in uh, films like The Heartbreak Kid, Catch-22, and The King Kong Remake. Grodin was also really popular with talk show hosts, as he rarely ever really played himself. He purposely kind of created or played up characterizations that made him a terrible guest. It was always done tongue-in-cheek, but a lot of the audiences weren't aware of that. One time I remember seeing him on Letterman and they got into a pretty uh, nasty argument. According uh, to the uh, to an article I read about The Tonight Show a little while back, Grodin was once fictitiously, fictitiously banned from ever being on the show, which uh, led to a lot of cards and letters coming in. Later on, went on to make appearances in some films that I'm more familiar with, certainly Beethoven we talked about, The Great Muppet Caper, Midnight Run, and Clifford. Loved Midnight Run. I only saw it once a really long time ago. Is it worth seeing again? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's good stuff. Okay. You know, I, I read that uh, when I was going over this, that he appeared in the old 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea with Kirk Douglas, 1954. Yes. But uncredited. It was un- was that that was a bit part, wasn't it? Uncredited. Yeah, uh, I'll have to go back and watch it now to see if I can see him. Yeah, that's a great one too. I love that movie. I love the whale of a tail song from it. <laughs> so true to form, tonight is uh, Groden having some fun with convention, and the show is show long story arc where a. Uh, 
Charles Grodin missed the dress rehearsal because he was out sightseeing and shopping. So yeah, that, that kind of goes throughout. And to this day, people think that was a legit thing. But uh, at any point, fellas, did you buy that Grodin had missed the dress? Uh, no, I never bought it, bought it. But I mean, what a good angle. Obviously was a gag, but it, it was funny. What did happen at dress rehearsal, though, and it's quite remarkable to see what happens with the show, is Gilda Radner broke uh, at least one rib. I've read up to as many as three, uh, rehearsing the Judy Miller sketch where she runs into the wall. And uh, you wouldn't guess that by seeing tonight. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the, the famous sketch of hers, of that character. So the cold open, Garrett, John, and Gilda are at the lockers, them bloody lockers. Some of these lockers have no fronts anymore. Belushi is mad that uh, Grodin missed the dress rehearsal and says that Grodin isn't one of them. He doesn't even smoke dope. Gilda thinks that uh, Grodin's a pretty talented guy, a lot of experience, and they can just walk him through. Grodin comes into the backstage area with a bunch of gifts, and now he calls Gilda Glinda, and he calls Belushi Bluchi or something to that effect. Gilda and Belushi ask if he's ready for the monologue. Grodin says he didn't realize there was a monologue, uh, that there was a studio audience, or even that the show was live. But he'd like to perform a song he wrote about life and how he feels about life. Grodin said he was unfortunately late because he forgot to get a gift for Garrett and uh, would have been embarrassed. Belushi then goes on to do the Live from New York. I really enjoyed this. Uh, it... it at this point, it's not clear what's going on, but uh, this was really good. Uh, I'm going to, if you know, uh, thinking, watching this again for this review, I'm thinking if Groden is going to do the whole show like this, I can't think of anyone better to do it. My initial impression was that I, uh, I really don't like when the host is in the cold open. Uh, I will I will change my mind about it at, uh, as the show concludes, but I also thought it was pretty clever. I thought Belushi was really good. Uh, the dope smoking line was good. And uh, I, I was initially, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I don't like that the host is in the cold open. It sets up right away that Groden is going to do that persona that you know him for. And uh, he's really good at it. It works well. He comes across really uh, sincere and kind of clumsy. Um, it's funny. And I thought the whole thing worked well. I mean, like we said, I didn't believe that he actually did, but I, I bought, you know, realized what the gag was. And I'm like, yeah, this is funny. Let's go. Yep. You can buy in. At least he's not overselling it, I guess is a good way to put it. So we go to the intro and this is a new, uh, a new cast intro. Again, this is our third new intro for the year. I mean, it has the uh, cast. They're still doing similar to what they did last time, last uh, week where they are standing in front of the big, uh, the big uh, scoreboard uh, Times Square. But this time it's at night and their actions are a little bit different. Um, I actually preferred this to the daytime one, Matt. Uh, I, I like that they're at night. There's something about New York at night that works for this show. For sure. I agree. Huge improvement. And the cast looked more comfortable and like into it too. And Dan taking a sip from a paper bag didn't hurt either. <laughs> <laughs> so Ron, this is your first time seeing these new intros instead of the old uh, photographs from last year. What's your thoughts? Yeah. Was this the second time we see them do this style? There was a different version of this before, yeah. Yeah, it works for the show. I mean, it's it's always awkward when they're probably just told, uh, okay, do something funny. <laughs> you know, it works as an opener. And Gilda hangs onto the apple motif as well, which I always like. So our monologue, Charles Grodin comes down the stairs. I'm noticing there's footlights now. I always love footlights. I wish they'd bring back footlights. 
Anyway, he said he hasn't prepared much. He's been busy sightseeing. He's never seen the show, but he saw some bits while taping the promos, and it looks like a, a cute show. This is exactly the kind of monologue an actor would give if he was completely unprepared, speaking as someone who has been an unprepared actor many, many times. Oh, I thought it was great. I liked that he he just seemed lost out there, and he was like, did you guys know the show was live? And then he'd never seen the show. <laughs> It was it was good stuff. And, you know, I'm assuming that this is uh, obviously a characterization of himself. Uh, he's nailing it so far. It, it also looked like they just pulled him in off the street. Like, it's just his fucking kick around wardrobe. He's just got that coat on and some regular ass clothes. It was weird. Yeah, he it, it was really short, that monologue. But he's just selling like, you know, that he I'm going to this is how I'm doing this show. And he's really selling it. And it actually is. Uh, you know, gave me chuckles. It was funny. So we go to a, an ad. It's for uh, Weekend Updates news reporters, and it's Dan Aykroyd on a plane at night while everyone else is sleeping. Uh, Aykroyd is typing away on a, an old-fashioned typewriter. We zoom in, or sorry, we get a reverse shot, and we see that there's nothing in Dan's typewriter. Um, I was sort of hit or miss on this one. I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about, you know, update being part of the meta universe that SNL creates. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, either way, I did get a laugh when they showed there was no paper there. I liked it. I thought it was kind of cool that they did an ad for Weekend Update. Uh, I can I can understand your trepidation, but I, I would I, I favored it. And hmm. yeah, of course, it's a good laugh with no paper. And I really liked the gloomy uh, you know, the, the dark 70s newsroom cigarette aesthetic was pulled yeah. off really well. I liked it, too. Uh, it, it's funny how Dan Aykroyd, you know, he played that completely straight and serious, yet he's funny doing it. I don't know yeah. why, how he does that exactly. Yeah, it gave me a chuckle. He's um, He can pull stuff like that off. Yeah, he was almost a caricature, but not quite there, eh? Yeah. We now go to one of the... Uh, Definitely a highlight reel sketch. It's the return of the Coneheads. It's the Halloween special, of course. Lorraine enters as Connie with a witch hat on. Even though she has the witch hat, the audience knows who it is immediately, and they cheer wildly. Doorbell rings, and Primat comes out and gives kids uh, fried eggs and beer. Um, Connie has to leave to go apple bobbin, and there's a great thing about apple bobbin, apple bobbin. And uh, Primat goes on to talk about uh, how sad she is to be missing the harvest of the Meepzorp because of small humans who move through the night demanding small consumables. Bill Murray and Gilda Radner show up, and they, uh, they th and at first uh, Primat and uh, Beldar think they're trick-or-treating, but uh, they're actually parents who are disappointed to hear that there's beer being given out to the children. The Coneheads promise to stop giving out treats, but agree to honor the symbolic vegetable orb, which is a pumpkin, and they start eating the pumpkin. This was great. This is short. Uh, they're super popular. Halloween just passed here as we record this. I joked that I, too, would be giving out fried chicken embryos. This is a highlight reel sketch, and there's many reasons why. Again, excellent performances by all involved. It was really tremendous. It's, it's one of those, you know, how sometimes you're like, ah, oh, geez, what, what's all the hype been about this? Like, like you know, everybody likes that fucking samurai. You're like, Why? Because when you look back, it's just not funny. But uh, this is just one of those sketches that 
really, you know, good legacy lives up to the hype that you would experience and then go look back at it. Anyway, you're right. Everyone was great. I, I, I almost have nothing to add. It was just hilarious the whole time. And the performances were all so good. And I loved it. It was awesome. They're always awesome. The only time I didn't like the Coneheads when they went to the planet and Garrett was there for some reason, and that was a shit show. Uh, I loved it. Uh, Coneheads are one of the things I remember about Saturday Night Live from my childhood, you know? So this one was great. It's funny. She comes out in the witch hat, and it's so obvious that it's funny. And when he uh, was taking not just eggs, but fried eggs, barehanded, and putting them in the treat bags, that was hilarious. I loved it. We now go to a sketch called Chuck's Film. Groden recently shot a film with an Italian director named Ernesto Bercovici, who's uh, renowned and making his American debut. The film is called Too Late, Too Late, My Love, My Love. Um, And Groden's going to show us a clip from the uh, really fantastic chase scene from the movie, which is better than the car chase in The French Connection, he says. Groden, of course, is odd and unprepared here. He throws to a clip... Uh, just Groden leaving a bank, jumping in a car and driving away, and then the clip ends. Groden is told by Lauren that his clip was too long, and there's no time for the cool parts of the clip. This was great. Uh, again, is like really playing off Groden's awkwardness and being un- unprepared. Um, there's no time for his song. It's, it's really good stuff. Yeah, he's killing it. His, when they cut back to his face and his jaw was just hanging, I laughed out loud big time. Uh, this This character he's created for the episode it's fantastic and he's playing it so well and he just seems agog and lost and like he he's not even sure he's supposed to be there he sh- and uh <laughs> yeah it was so good this is like uh this theme they're trying to carry through if it wasn't done well it could get old really fast yeah but this sketch it's just like it's just hitting its stride with this this was great we now go to our musical performance our first it's slip sliding away And this was released as a bonus track on Paul Simon's first Greatest Hits album in 1977. Peaked at number five in the Billboard Top 100 and went gold. Background music is done, or the background singing is done by The Persuasions. I like this song. I like this version. I know Paul Simon's a hot-button topic for Matt uh, and and myself as well. Um, But uh, I I, I liked the usage of Paul Simon for this. He came out, he did his song, and he was done. This is the, uh, like, if I could compare this to food, it would be a Miracle Whip sandwich on White Wonder Bread. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, you know, it's Paul Simon. It fit his style perfectly. This song is still sung today in bars and was all very, very solid. At least he did a great job of it and the audience yeah. enjoyed it. It was nice seeing him play the 12 string. Yeah, it wasn't like uh, blowing the roof off, but it was really solid. I would say that. We're now on to Consumer Probe, um, another highlight reel sketch. So J- Jane Curtin plays, she's finally got a name. It's Joan Face, and she's hosting Consumer Probe with Erwin Mainway. And Mainway is uh, bringing out his uh, dangerous Halloween costumes for the, uh, for the season. So first we have Johnny Space Commander. It's uh, Johnny Space Commander mask, actually, which is just a plastic bag and a rubber band. Dan puts the bag over his head and demonstrates. We also have Invisible Pedestrian, a black suit with gloves and mask. Mainway says a car is a big object and kids are smart these days and they're definitely smart enough to get out of the way of a car. And the kids trick-or-treated houses. They're not walking up and down the expressway knocking on cars. We then see Johnny Combat. 
which is an actual M1 machine gun and some uh, some other military accessories. Uh, and Mainway defends that costume by saying the ammo is not included. Finally, we see Johnny Human Torch, which is just a bag of oily rags and a lighter. Mainway says, really, any item can be unsafe. A gust of wind could make his tie go down his throat, and he demonstrates that as well. And Dan also sets his jacket on fire to demonstrate how dangerous a regular jacket is. I love this. For me, this is the Irwin Mainway sketch that makes Irwin Mainway. As much as I like the Christmas one, when I think Irwin Mainway, it's this sketch. It's funny because I actually feel the other way around. When I think Irwin Mainway, I think of the Christmas one. But I mean, everything else is exactly the same. What a brilliant character. Uh, I was like, who? what face? Who the hell is that? I was all confused (laughs) by James Mainway's tripped up uh i mean she played her role perfectly well i really thought candace bergen did a good job yeah. too i mean it's tough to play against candace bergen i mean come on it was just uh it was hilarious and my favorite of course was yeah invisible pedestrian <laughs> yes uh, that was my favorite too I, I think this might be the highlight sketch of the show for me my this is where it peaked yeah um but invisible pedestrian that that's hilarious come on and I noticed too, I, I didn't notice it like the hundred times I've seen this sketch, but everything is Johnny except the, uh, <laughs> except the invisible de- pedestrian. Like there's not even any thought into the name. Johnny Space Commander, Johnny Combat, <laughs> Johnny Human Torch. That <laughs> <laughs> plays in perfectly to his character. It really does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> whatever, the, whatever the hideous design and factory. Yeah. There's not even any thought put into the name. I love it. We have a Chiron on an audience member who's living a fib. We then go to a, <laughs> this is an interesting one. I really enjoy this coming up too. It's a segue or a segment about the anyone can host contest. And so Bill Murray and Mr. Mike are looking through postcards at the uh, finalists. And Mr. Mike is disqualifying people for bad margins, smudges, typing arrows, unattractive stamps, and one having an extra word because it's only supposed to be 25 words. And he rips up the postcard and throws it away. But there is one he likes. And this is all as Bill does the pitch for the Anyone Can Host episode coming up in December. Offhand, I can't think of seeing Bill Murray and Mr. Mike together up to this point. But there was something there. Mike was hilarious ripping out those cards. My, my biggest laugh was uneven margins. I liked unattractive stamp myself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, pro- definitely my favorite one of these so far. Garrett's was pretty good and Lauren's was awful. I, I got a good laugh out of this one too. And there was uh, that point where Bill Murray kind of realizes this might uh, move him out of a job. I thought that was funny. His, his uh, weekend update character making a brief appearance was fun for me. Yeah, just that was just thrown in at the end, wasn't it? Yeah. We now go to Samurai Dry Cleaner. So uh, this is actually kind of late in the show for a Samurai Sketch, was the first thing I thought. Uh, Gilda and Groden come in for uh, to the dry cleaner for their clothes. Gilda notices a spot on the Samurai, sorry, on her on her clothes that the Samurai missed. He goes on to uh, hold the, uh, the knife to his stomach. Gilda says it's not that important, and uh, Futaba is relieved. He then throws a box up and a shirt up in the air and, and waves the sword, and they come down as a wrap, perfectly wrapped box of clothing. Groden then is amazed by the stunt and, completely out of character, asks, is that a prop? He then accidentally starts reading John's lines off the cue cards. 
and tells John it's a funny character and a good scene. Yeah, I, did, I don't know. This is too much for me at this point. I, I, I mean, the samurai stuff was good. I really got a laugh out of the box. But Grodin breaking character here pushed it a bit far for me. But other than that, it wasn't bad. It was too much for me, too. Uh, I, I thought it was, first of all, I, I hate this samurai shit. As soon as I saw it was a samurai sketch, my heart sank. And, you know, I was slightly interested by the change of direction, uh, but then it went too far. And then I just couldn't, just because I know what goes on with Frank Zappa, that's all I could think about. Understood, yeah. They're, they're carrying that that story again that he's, you know, messing up the show. And he plays it well because you're almost feeling sorry for him, like, oh, that poor guy, but you're annoyed because he's messing up the show. But this was one where they may be milked it a little too long they could have ended the scene quicker maybe but i was still i I wasn't crying yeah and we'll compare and contrast the uh the zappa thing when we get there matt there is some similarities and there's some differences too but it's uh it is very much what zappa does yeah i thought it was interesting and it's been like i watched the zappa episode once a long time ago so it'll be pretty fresh for me when it comes along i just you know it's hard not to remember the details the big detail is zappa did it by himself without sure. anyone else knowing. And I, we have a Chiron on an audience member who's a primetime audience reject. We now go to weekend update. Don Pardo introduces Jane's name backwards, Enaj Nitrick. They tell him to turn it around, and he's grateful because he doesn't want to get his saw in a sling. So a few things I noticed, I actually got quite a bit off this one. There's a, uh, Jane talks about a Bigfoot video. A man says he has a clip of the video of a uh, Bigfoot video. There's a slide or a, a, a frame from the video shown. And it's said to be the man carrying the video to be analyzed. The Mona Lisa is said to be what Cher looks like, who is suing her plastic surgeon. They talk about Steve Biko and, and the joke didn't work for me, but I was just surprised that the Stephen Biko situation was that long ago. The dancing N comes in, says, uh, there's no bulletin today, just felt like dancing. Bill Murray does his review of, I think it's one of James Whitmore's one-man shows, and he blames one-man shows on egocentric actors and frugal producers. Um, There is some truth to that, (laughs) just some truth. And he asks, like, what, he gets a good laugh out of what kind of interaction can one man have with himself, realizes, and then uh, says that stuff shouldn't be allowed on stage. There is news for the silent movie buff where Dan is in black and white and they do a thing with choppy videos and subtitles. I thought it was excellent. Garrett is a special FBI agent looking into the Jimmy Hoffa case. He pulls a skeleton out of a garbage bag that they thought was Hoffa. It actually has a dinosaur head with Hoffa's teeth, Amelia Earhart's ribs, Judge Crater's hip, Mike Todd's vertebrae, and Bishop Pike's underwear. Dan takes the underwear and Garrett gets really uncomfortable. And uh, Dan says more on that story as it deteriorates. So update for me is coming along. Still not where it was with just Jane, but this is head and shoulders above the first three updates of the season. Thought they did really well, and they're sort of starting to capture a vibe that's both the early updates and 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 the, and the late, late updates. Uh, they're getting there. There's still a little bit of stupid banter and stuff that isn't working. Totally agree. Uh, I don't like the black background that they use uh, on the anchors when they got the insets there. Uh, but ev- yeah, everybody seemed a little more with it. I also, I st- as much as, you know, I just said, I liked Bill Murray's little weekend update character cameo in the Anyone Can Host bit. I continue to not like his bits uh, here in 
in uh, Weekend Update. I it was too long, and I didn't think it was funny. I also didn't like the silent movie bit. I thought it was too hokey and silly. Uh, I thought the Biko joke was pretty edgy, actually. Uh, I was shocked. I didn't realize it was that long ago, Matt. I thought the Stephen Biko stuff was like mid-80s. Yeah, me too, actually. Maybe that's when the Peter Gabriel song came out. Probably, yeah. Uh, but yeah, great great leap forward here with Weekend Update. I really uh, enjoyed it for the most part. I'm with you, Matt, on the uh, silent film thing. Uh, I didn't hate it, but it's just probably the weakest part of the sketch for me. But I like the Hoffa stuff. I actually did enjoy Bill Murray's uh, rant about the one-man show. He maybe dragged it out a little too long, but he was kind of doing his little persona his his catchphrases and stuff in there i don't know it, it, it made me laugh i suppose because uh being a theater one-man show person <laughs> frugal producers love one-man shows yeah he hit all the points that you know people harp on one-man shows about so it was funny yeah absolutely we now go to sound of silence and it's paul simon and charles groden as art garfunkel or at least wearing a garfunkel wig Groton tries to sing Art's part, and he's struggling with the words and the pitches. Simon is getting annoyed and stops. Groton says he's doing it because he uh, is annoyed that they cut out down his film clip, and he really doesn't have that much to do. And Groton is not overly familiar with the song, but he's learning as he goes. Simon doesn't think Groton needs to do this, so he uh, he gets up and leaves. Groton is unmoved, and he cues the piano to start singing Bridge Over Troubled Water. Art Garfunkel comes out of nowhere to great applause, takes the wig back. This was brilliant. I friggin' love this. I have said it a number of times. I love Paul Simon's comic delivery. Um, Groden, of course, was friends with both Simon and Garfunkel, um, and they just had a lot of fun with it. But the thing that killed me was when after Groden gets the lecture from Simon, and you think, okay, he's going to say, all right, I'm done. He goes and tells them that he's going to sing you know, bridge over troubled water. So, uh, yeah, he tries to do it by himself. Simon's words meant nothing. I love this. I thought it was hilarious. Always great to see Garfunkel and uh, good to see Simon in this context. I also thought this was super funny. Groden did such a good uh, art when he was just like staring off into space and his mouth was slightly agape. It was a perfect exaggerated version. Simon's frustration uh, was right. It, because, uh, you know, as much as I like to shit on Paul Simon, he does have some pretty good uh, timing and delivery. I really liked him in that turkey bit. Uh, the thousands will remember the turkey bit. Arse. Fuck, yeah. I'd love to see Arse. Wish he sang. Magnetic. Absolutely magnetic. Can't take my eyes off him. I thought this was really funny. And uh, when, when I saw him in that wig, that was great. And then um, when you think of other guests and their abilities to act in the sketches and the comedic timing and everything, I thought both Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel were great. Like they could hold their own with the cast. So Yeah, Simon is, uh, I mean, Simon's comic timing is 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 fantastic. And he's, he's repeatedly done well in sketches. We are now at the Killer Bees. And the bees trick-or-treat at Groden and Gilda's house. Groden breaks the sketch because he wants an explanation of their costumes. Are you supposed to be some sort of animals? <laughs> he didn't see the costumes in rehearsal. He wants them to do the sketch again without the antenna because he finds them just too distracting and to be honest he doesn't understand the bees he wants to know are they bees playing children are they real bees are they 
people dressed as bees. It just doesn't make sense to him. Garrett admits that uh, he's been thinking the same thing. And then Bill and Dan get into a discussion if they're real bees or not. Groden says in movies, things are just explained better to actors. Groden tries to make it work uh, by giving them pollen, which is what they were trick-or-treating for. They take the pollen from Groden, and then Tom Schiller starts playing guitar, and they try to improv a bit around this, and it's a bit about children starving and then belushi says he works hard and he's a professional he doesn't like doing the bees but he tries belushi says groden ruined the opening monologue he ruined the samurai and now he's ruining the bees and the antenna are going absolutely wild belushi says groden is the worst host ever and then gilda comes out and tells groden to take control as the host host Groden worries that the time taken with the bees is going to cut into his song, and Lauren confirms this over the PA. God, I loved this. I I know this is similar in theme to the samurai sketch, but uh, this is probably what that should have been. Um, I really enjoyed this. Even the antenna, which from day one have made me laugh. Belushi got them going extra wild. I thought Groden was fantastic, and I kind of can't help but wonder... How many hosts have come on this show and and pulled the same shit during rehearsals and had all these weird questions like is you know is is the is Dieter from Sprockets really German or how old are Wayne and Gar? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Belushi really shone, uh, shone, shined uh, here, and you know I'm I'm not usually his biggest booster, but holy shit, he I he can really get it done. The uh, I did think it was getting a little long when the guitar playing started happening. Uh, so, but I mean that's just like my opinion, man. Uh, it was hilarious from pretty much top to bottom. And you're right; it really made me wonder, like, why was that samurai sketch even there? This was was this was funny and clever and cerebral and uh, much more interesting and better performed. I don't know; it could be just me, but I think when Belushi was really get working the antenna and it was swinging. I think Groden almost broke there for a split second. I agree. I agree. You can see a smirk come on his face. Yeah. So, like, if this had been just a Killer Bees sketch and it the Groden uh, thing didn't happen, it would have been horrible. But the him playing up that, you know, he's interrupting it and he starts that gets them onto that big existential discussion about who are the bees and what are we doing here and everything. I thought it worked really well. It was funny. Some good stuff too. And Ron, I know you know you're a, you're a theater guy as well. You get these actors right who have just too many questions. Just you know, just go with it. You know, just take the note and move on. But yeah, <laughs> I guess that yeah. part of what makes it so funny is it's such a believable scenario to happen. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Our next sketch is called Brownie, and this was written by Marilyn Miller, and it's one of uh, very few appearances by. Gilda as Judy Miller. Now, Ron, you mentioned this was a, a famous character, and it certainly was, and I'm shocked to hear it only. I think we only get to see Judy Miller two or three times. This is Gilda as a little kid. She's messing around in a room. She's playing with her toys, and she's pretending to host her own show where she does things like pretends to be a bride, and she does uh, an, a commercial with one of her toys. To me, this is a stream of consciousness. This is Gilda unhinged as a kid. And when people talk about how great Gilda Radner is, it's sketches like this. It was just her. I know it was written. Um, and Marilyn Miller definitely had input into this. But 
this was Gilda on her own, effing around with stuff as a character. Uh, I loved it. Charming, awesome, great, and change a few variables, and that's me at nine years old. Loved it. This episode is uh, slamming along. This is absolutely one of the things, one of the things I remembered from highlight real stuff as a kid about the, the old seasons, the not ready for prime time players. And obviously this is a, this is a role that she has been honing for a while over the, the seasons and various sketches and in other characters and really all out here. Uh, the, the show, this, this is, you know, this feels like, the show we've been waiting for it's really hitting like superstar status stride uh i i feel exactly the same way you do well it's time for my unpopular opinion but oh please hear me out anyway to me this was my least favorite sketch of the show but not because it wasn't good like what she did was so real and true and and you know you could picture going to some black box theater and watching someone do this and Everybody would applaud at the end. It was so, so true. But yeah, I didn't find it funny. That's all I can say about it. So everything else was, you know, chuckles all along. And then this was just like, wow, this is deep, you know, deep only because it's touching into something we can relate to as kids. But now it's funny, Ron, because uh, this is Marilyn Miller. And I don't know if you remember the Jodie Foster episode we did too well. But she also wrote that one with Dan Aykroyd and Jodie Foster, where it was the teacher and the student. And, and you liked that the least as well. So I, and it was same basic idea, the, the, the realism to it. And you know what I mean? I wonder if it's a, it's a writing thing. Yeah, it's a similar thought uh, as to that sketch. You know, it's like, well, it was a well done little scene, but does it belong in a comedy sketch show? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, see, and over the last three years, I've become overly fascinated with her writing for very much the same reasons you you both liked and didn't like it. And and one of them is, you mentioned the black box theater. Almost every one of these are, are like little mini plays. No, I would just say like the show has been chuckle, 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 laugh, 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 then this serious bit, and then back to laugh. So it, I don't know. It just, for me, it feels like it didn't belong there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Different, different style of humor for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We now have an ad for the Professional School of Football. Garrett hosts an ad and it uh, talks about the people going to the, the the Professional School of Football in lieu of uh, uh, other options. And there's a bunch of multiple choice questions that are similar to the ones you'll face at the school. And almost every one of them has to do with uh, groin injuries. This was this was a weaker bit of the night for me. I thought Garrett did a great job with delivery. But I, I mean, I didn't laugh much at the uh, material. No, it's not super funny. I mean, I, I when he kept saying groin, I laughed eventually, as you do when you hear the word groin enough times in a row. But uh, other than that, it had nothing going for it. Well, I like this one. Um, it, one of my, I don't want to say complaints, but one of the things I could say about SNL, it's so often just the cheap laughs. And this was another cheap laughs sketch. But <laughs> I guess like Matt says, you hear groin. It's funny. I don't know why. <laughs> But it is. Cheap laughs work a lot of the time, you know. We now have a Chiron, and it's Charles Grodin sitting in the audience. And the Chiron says, this week's host. I loved it. I couldn't. <laughs> I just pictured Grodin not knowing where to sit because he missed rehearsal and 
sitting in the audience and they catch him. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I liked it too much, but I hate these Chiron so much that when they do have fun with it, you know, Chevy or Gilda, or in this case, Groden, it works. Best Chiron ever. He's just got the perfect look on his face when they cut to him. And he's just carrying this bit perfectly. We now have Paul Simon's uh, second, I suppose, musical appearance or uh, performance, and it's Your Kind. This was released on Still Crazy after all these years in, in 1975. This is rare because Paul Simon has his, like, as Matt once said, five songs of doom or five moves of doom. And this is not one Paul Simon performs much when it comes to uh, his, his random TV appearances. I do know the song. I do kind of like it. But it was just nice to see Paul break something else out of the... Uh, out of the, the, the music trunk, I think. Certainly not what a lot of his other songs are, ones I really, really like, but this one's fine. And uh, yeah, thought he did a fine job of it. I can't believe you don't get Art Garfunkel to sing. They better at least have asked him. I would much rather have seen Art Garfunkel whip out his big, throbbing, pulsing musical talent on the air in front of us all. I thought it was... Uh... Typical, solid Paul Simon, who's great. And he had that, um, what was the name of the harmonica player? Shit, I don't know. Yeah, he was somebody important anyway. I'd never heard of him before, but I thought it was a nice uh, touch to the to the piece as well. If it's not Neil Young or Blues Traveler, I don't know who the harmonica player is. Yeah, Matt, you have a real, I couldn't remember, you were chilly. I know one of us has a real hate on for all but like two uh, harmonica players. I, I don't have much use for harmonica players now. Our next bit is the last sketch sort of thing of the night. It's called Hire the Incompetent. It's an ad extolling the virtues of hiring incompetent people. Groden asks, how can society grow if people already know the jobs they're doing? Bill Murray was a, a, a grocery packer, and he kept putting the breakables on the bottom and the heavy stuff on the top. Lorraine was an air traffic controller who was too much, uh, too smitten with the cute pilots to effectively do her job. And then we see the debut of an unnamed Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. Groden is reading out the cue cards saying that he was an incompetent host and he gets annoyed about it. He wants to do his song. He finally gets permission to do this song about life he's been talking about. And he sings it and it's very, very basic. Something like a five-year-old child would write. But Groden seems happy. Um, this was great. I, I thought this was fine for this time. It's, it's you know probably one of the weaker bits of the night, but uh, still really fun. And it's and it's nice to finally see Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana there. I loved this. I thought everybody killed it. Lorraine was good. I haven't really seen much of her lately. I feel pretty weak booking for Lorraine. Lorraine so far this season. Uh, but of course, I was waiting for this character to, character of Gilda's to appear just because it's my mom's favorite and that I just always remembered it was my mom's favorite. So I have been sitting around waiting for it for two seasons now. So it's nice to finally get that out of the way. And yeah, I just thought everybody was really good. Good sketch, funny shit, good performances. Yeah. I'm a fan of Lorraine and uh, I'm, I'm glad she got in this last one. We didn't see enough of her in this episode and it's significant too, because of Gilda Radner's little bit. But And I thought it was solid. It was funny. We now go to the good nights. Everybody's together. And uh, except Dan Aykroyd is not there. I will get to the bottom of what's up with him and the uh, the good nights, leaving earlier, just not showing up. Art Garfunkel is there, as is Mr. Mike. So I thought this was kind of a happy-looking uh, 
good night, which in a way kind of belied the whole episode, but uh, you know, it's curtain calls. So commit a character and, and do a bow. You know, they, they reveal that it was all a big gag with Groden. Yeah. But Belushi sticks to his guns in it. And, and then you're like, well, was it? <laughs> so let's look at our, our ratings and our wrap ups. Uh, so rating the host for me, Charles Groden was excellent. It was not only great for the show, but it was also great for Groden. It captured this, this dry deadpan delivery that he is so he was so excellent at. It was a really wise decision to use this because it, it, it to me, it kind of captured, even though it was all fake, it captured some of the roughness of the early episodes. And there was almost a sense of danger in his performance that lately the show kind of has been lacking. This one, although they're all live, this one felt really live to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, Gro- Charles Grodin, excellent uh, across the board for me. Agreed. Terrific host. Works well with the cast. Works well on his own. They knew what to do with him. Whoever was writing his stuff, uh, if he had a hand in it, who knows? I know they're around. Anyway, extremely well done, uh, both writing and performance-wise. Yeah, I agree. I I loved him as a host. They took his strength, that that persona that he plays, and they just used it to great advantage. I'm glad we're all on the same page, fellas. Charles Grodin sadly never comes back to host. Um, Some of that has been interpreted as people thinking the banning was real. It was not. He was asked back again, I think in the early 90s, around the Beethoven time, Beethoven Clifford time. Um, But uh, he couldn't do it. Sadly, we lost him last year at 2021 at the age of 86 years old. So, uh, you know, kudos, Charles Grodin. Great work tonight. Sad you're sad you're gone still. So the music, uh, I thought it was excellent. Sparing use of Paul Simon compared to what they usually do with Paul. Yeah, it was good to have Garfunkel. Sure wish he could have sang. You know, Simon sang Slip Siding, which I really like, in a song that's not usually in his repertoire, which was a nice change. I mean, God, if he'd sang The Boxer or something again, um, or Still Crazy, you know, there'd be no real point because he'd already done them on the show, I suppose. I'd rather sit through a semester of high school chemistry than a Paul Simon album. I like Paul Simon, and he was great. He looked really comfortable there. He, he was in his element, and, and it just worked well for me. So, fellas, what was the worst sketch of the night? The, the uh, oh, It's tough between that football one and the samurai one, but I don't like that samurai character. And the, the, the sketch just should have been cut with how well they pulled it off later anyway. It uh, didn't belong there. The, the characters beat to death, just like, leave it alone. Stop it. Stop with the samurai. And it was just, you know, they, they fucked it up. It was weird. Weird placement. Just shouldn't have been on the show at all. I'd have to agree the samurai was the worst, although I didn't hate it as much as Matt. I still I still got chuckles from it. So I also went with samurai. So we have a, a, a bad sweep tonight. And considering that this is not a hideous sketch, <laughs> uh, it goes to show how good everything else was. Um, for me, you know what it really was for this is that the samurai, there's no benefit to breaking the fourth wall with the samurai and being like, this is Belushi in a costume with the bees. They've done it and they'll do it again. And it's hilarious. But I mean, it'd be like coming in and ripping Dan Aykroyd's cone off and saying, Hey, Dan, how's it going? It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, other than that, it was short and it missed the charm of the bees sketch. And, uh, to me, it was sort of uh, above and beyond the worst tonight which is saying something because it wasn't really hideous 
So what was the best, guys? This is tricky. My brain was rattling on this one. Yeah, as it should. So much to choose from, let's be honest, because there's there's shit that really made me there's moments that really made me laugh uh that that i don't but i don't consider them indicative of you know the big sketch the best sketch uh like when they cut after the after they showed the movie clip when they cut back to charles groden uh, that was probably my biggest laugh of the night his expression uh just killed me but my favorite sketch of the night was the coneheads halloween to good performances too brilliant and yeah i mean i just always love those sketches i just thought this was a solid uh episode right across the board uh, a lot of times you know you see the show oh this sketch didn't work for me oh that one was funny oh this one was no good i got chuckles out of everything uh, from start to finish but my favorite was consumer probe when he talked about invisible pedestrian I don't know. That that gave me the most laughs. Yeah, uh, I I really your two choices drove me bonkers, and there were a couple of others in there too. But I did go with Consumer Probe as well. Um, I prefer it to the Christmas one. Jane and Dan were on fire here, and what really made it beyond the just ridiculousness of the sketches, what really put it over for me was. Aykroyd's deliveries of excuses for why every costume works. Um, just brilliantly written, brilliantly performed. Absolutely loved it. Um, but my God, it killed me to not pick the Coneheads Halloween because that's uh, that's another important one for me. <laughs> God, I wish they were on different episodes, eh, Matt? Spread the love around. So another tricky one. This is hard. Um, who's the star of the night? For me, it is Dan Aykroyd. I thought he was good in that Weekend Update ad. He was more comfortable in Weekend Update. Of course, the Coneheads, obviously Consumer Probe. Uh, He was just, he was all over the best shit tonight. I 100% agree with that. Yeah, he's he's funny. Uh, The voice he does for the Consumer Probe, you know, that, that character, when he pulls that out, it's... It just works so well. He's great at delivery. He's got a great presence. So I'm with you on that one, Matt. I'm going rogue on this one. I went with Gilda. Um, She was all throughout this show. Amazing in everything she did. Understated in the the Coneheads bit. Um, Judy Miller was fantastic. Rosanna Rosanna Dano was in there. We didn't have to see Baba Wawa or Emily Latella once. But what kind of put it over for me, Gilda over Dan, was... Gilda was her kind of her role as uh, Charles Grodin's confessor. The few little bits where we got to see her sort of being the the one who's encouraging Charles Grodin to keep go on going on with it. Uh, just the understated performance there, I really liked it. This could have been Dan. This could have been Garrett tonight. Um, it even may have possibly been Belushi, but uh, it, it went with Gilda. I went with Gilda on this one, even though it was a tour de force performance by a few others as well. So overall, fellas, I have very little bad to say about this. For me to expect a show to have something that makes me laugh all throughout is is an impossible ask. Um, they came very close tonight. I laughed a lot. I mean, there is a lot of chuckling. And I watched these shows, as I've said a number of times, I watched these episodes two or three times. This works as well on the third time. 
as it does on the first. These sort of conceptual episodes come and go. Yeah, there's not too, too many of them. And there's certainly not too many of them that uh, it really works this way. Paul Simon was used well, but used sparingly. Um, He wasn't all over the show. And uh, Charles Grodin, fantastic work tonight. Guys, I'm giving this episode a nine. I am, uh, you know, when I think I got to think of the show as a whole, like Weekend Update is still not killing it for me. Uh, But it was good and it was an improvement, but it's still not a great Weekend Update. And I didn't like the musical guest. That's a big deal for me. Uh, but I understand that Paul Simon is Paul Simon, and that's my that's a personal preference of mine. And he's a friend of the show, obviously. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Football sketch was only so-so. The samurai thing was bad. But, you know, God, the classics involved. The classics. The highlights throughout. Uh, ugh. What do I do with this? I gotta go. Uh, it's, it's tricky. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm like haggling internally over a fucking decimal point. It gets it. Eight point five out of ten. Wow. Yeah, I thought this was such a solid episode. Like for me, if Saturday Night Live was this all the time, I would have, you know, been a hardcore rewatch fan for so much of it, but. There was no point in this episode that I was like, oh, God, I can't wait till this is over. Even the Judy Miller thing, although I'm saying like I don't understand why it fits in there, like <laughs> like the Muppets and everything, um, it's it was still good. I still enjoyed watching it, was captivated by it. So, well, I'm going to say 8.5. So with my nine, only the second nine I've ever given, uh, Matt's 8.5 and Ron's 8.5, this gets an 8.7 which actually puts it at our second uh, highest rated episode so far, Matt uh, and, and Ron. We've uh, we've put it right below the Candace Bergen episode. Does that make sense to you, Matt? Yeah, it's the second best one. I still like the Candace Bergen Frank Zappa one the most, but this is my this is number two for me now. And Ron, compared to the Jodie Foster episode from last year, I mean, this bloat leaves it in the dust, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that too, but I mean... There was lots in the Jodie Foster episode that was just like, eh. But this one, I feel, was strong from start to finish. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I was sitting there looking at it going, nine, that's really high. And I was, like, trying to justify bringing it down, but I I honestly couldn't justify making it any worse than a nine. Folks who could justify it, though, however, the folks over at the IMDb, they give this episode which I think is a dismal score a, a, a for, 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 for them, they give it a 7.1. They don't know what they're doing. They don't, that this is, yeah. what do they know? <laughs> and they also uh, rank this as a 13th of the season, which is criminal. They rate this worse than the uh, Steve Martin episode from the beginning of the season, Matt. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to give any credence to these ratings when I've seen the poop in the pudding you know (laughs) (laughs) so it's the 13th of the year 307 to date of all episodes hey it's the 50th episode and uh what a great 50th episode i think for us to watch and i had a lot of fun chatting about it fellas happy 50 keith happy 50 ron i'm so glad you could come back for such a great episode um it's a lot of fun hearing what you had to say and uh we we get to see you again later in the season you'll be back for episode 10 awesome yeah i'm looking forward to it thanks so much ron so matt we'll be back next week with mark do you know who the uh host is and the musical guest 
Uh, I believe so, but do remind me. It's Ray Charles doing double duty. Yes, I did know. I did know. Where do you sit on Ray Charles? I don't really have an opinion, to be honest. Okay. I, I think you will after the episode. It's it's a it's an interesting one. I, I don't want to say too much right now. Okay. But uh, I am a Ray Charles fan, so we'll see. I don't mind it. <laughs> so again, thank you all very much. Um, Matt and I'll be back in about a week with uh, Ray Charles, episode five of season three. But until then, we'll be making sure we don't miss rehearsal here in SNL. <laughs>